when the Lord calls you out of a tomb. When the Lord calls you out of a tomb. The title of today's sermon is When the Lord Calls You Out of a Tomb. Lazarus, one whom Jesus loved, has been in the tomb for four days. And before our Christ would come to call him out of that grave, another movement would first need to take place. We're in a series right now called Field Notes, Movements with a Migrant God. And before Jesus is moved to move, the Spirit moves Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, to move towards Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick, they would cry out to him, hoping to implore him, hoping to inspire him, hoping to move him to move, to be moved. And though it takes more time than Martha and Mary and most painfully Lazarus would have hoped, because somehow, some way, for some reason, it seems to always take more time with God. Can the church say amen? But Christ eventually comes. He takes the migration from Jerusalem to Bethany, a distance only two miles as the crow flies. But as far as pain goes, that gap was a gulf. In the days and distance it takes for Jesus to come, Lazarus dies. And Martha and Mary are there to meet Jesus and cry out in their lament. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. He doesn't just hear from one of them. They both get him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Many in this room have cried out prayers like that to God. Lord, if you had been there. Lord, if you had been there. John chapter 11. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid Lazarus, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Before he comes, before he sees, Jesus, just guttural, deep, weeps. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. I want you to see that we follow a Jesus who is moved and a Jesus who moves. We follow a Jesus who is moved and a Jesus who moves. Today we're playing with that word of movement in migration today. It's not just a physical migration. It's a migration of compassion. A God who grieves, a Jesus who weeps, and a Christ who comes. 
He makes his way to make a way. And now Jesus stands at a stone-cold tomb. Bloodshot eyes. Puffy cheeks. Beard just soaked in the guttural anointing of tears. Questions of anger and doubt hurled at him like stones. Could not you have stopped this? And the one who was moved, moved by the tears of his sisters, those the scriptures tell us that Jesus loved too. So we go back to verse 5 in the story. It says, now Jesus loved Martha, and Jesus loved Mary, and Jesus loved Lazarus. So as their pain moved Jesus, his love for them moves him to the tomb. And from that movement, he continually invites more movement. Take away the stone, he says. Move the stone. Surely a foreshadowing of his own stone story soon to come. Roll away the stone. But Lord, says Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. There will always be objections to the impossible. That which is only impossibly possible with Jesus Oh, but might our but Lord objections be met with but God miracles? Might our but Lord objections be met with but God miracles? This is a story with so much movement. And then Jesus continually invites even more. Verse 40, Jesus says, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? There's a movement of sorrow in the story. There's a movement of compassion in the story. There's a movement of miles, of feet migrating. There's a movement of stones. There's a before a stone is removed in the tomb story, there must be a stone removed in the belief story too. Jesus tells Martha, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see? But the raw reality of grief has buried belief in a tomb all its own in Martha. And can the church say amen? How could Martha believe in a time like this? What was she supposed to believe in? Who was she supposed to believe in? Why should Martha believe here and now? Jesus, I don't know if you know, but that stone has been shut for four days. That which smells like death, Jesus, is death. And there's no aroma of resurrection that has made its way in here. No holy incense has risen from that tomb. No, it is only death on the other side of that stone-cold tomb. And yet, anybody in here have an and yet story? 
And yet, the possibility of the impossible must have moved her. Moved something within her, just enough. Because they ultimately follow this Jesus who is moved, this Jesus who moves, this Jesus who invites them to move. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looks up and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Lazarus, come out! And when the Lord calls you out of a tomb, when the Lord calls you out of a tomb, I must admit, church, there are times in my life where I stayed in the tomb too long. And I know why. And anyone who has known deep trauma and deep loss, they know why as well. When you've lost so much, too much, your pain becomes precious. In fact, it's the most precious. It's more precious than comfort. It's more precious than compassion. It's more precious than care. Your pain is priceless. And actually, that makes it sound too cheap. Because your pain came at a cost. The highest of costs. And walking away out of that tomb, even as you've been called, somehow feels like walking away from your precious pain. And that it will deny it, dismiss it, or somehow leave it behind. But it's a part of you. And once more, that feels like too high a price to pay. The tomb is a place, though, where real life has truly been lost. Perhaps you've had time in a tomb. Perhaps maybe now that gives name to a season you're finding yourself in. Thank you for being here. I know for me what I lost while in the tomb was cruel and unusual punishment on top of the loss that sent me into the tomb in the first place. An insufferable suffering on top of suffering, a loss of self, a loss of nearness to others, a loss of nearness to God. Where touch had once been tender and true, and those who know me deepest know these stories, it now felt sharp and painful, an embodied reminder of intimacy and connectedness, but even more of life, of embodied life. And that touch of embodied life was in fact the loss I was grieving in the first place. Where words had been life-giving and affirming, identity-shaping and soul-forming. I'll just name one problem. I have all the love languages. I'm greedy with them. <laughs> Acts of service, maybe not, but four out of five, I just look at them and I'm like, yes, 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 no, yes, yes. 
Where words had been life-giving and affirming, identity-shaping and soul-forming, they then became too piercing, too poignant, like the shock of blinding light in the darkest of night, like a radiant sun just piercing through a hollow cave. My skin couldn't handle it. My heart couldn't handle it. And where joy had been my safe, happy place, my marker and measure of all that is good in me. I'm an Enneagram one. And in health, we shoot over to seven. We get enthusiast quickly when we're in our happy place. And every time that happens, when you're a one and you shoot over to seven, it feels like the teacher just canceled class for a pizza party on the playground. You're like, seriously? Just unbridled joy right now. It feels like all of the greatest adventure dreams truly could come true on this side of Narnia as well. And yet in those tomb seasons, joy feels out of touch. It honestly, it feels like a friend who just doesn't get it. Like you're a lot right now. Your happiness feels aloof. Can you read the room? It was Christmas of 2020. My younger sister had passed away just a few weeks before. And we were back home in Arkansas, first for her funeral, and then just to stay around for the holiday for just a moment to be with family. And while we were there, our kids were little, and we wanted to take them over to their granny's house to knock at the door and surprise her with Christmas caroling. We didn't know how many more Christmases we would have with granny. And so we wanted to take the most of it. And so we made the drive over, and for me, it felt like the cruelest possible thing to my spirit and soul in that moment, to sing Christmas songs coming out of the mouth of innocent children with joy and delight. And so I couldn't participate, I couldn't be near, but there was something inside of me that knew that the least I could do was take a snapshot and a picture and capture it. For one day, maybe we'd be on the other side of a tomb and I could appreciate the picture. And maybe one day we wouldn't have Granny anymore. And we've just lost her over the past year. But in that moment, the one holding the camera is the one holding deep pain and loss. And yet staring in front of me is such pure, beautiful joy. There's one more picture, and it's Granny as we knocked at the door and surprised her. And it was COVID, so people are wearing masks, so we didn't even know we could have this opportunity to be close, so we're trying to protect her while also sing to her. So in a tomb season, I have a snapshot of joy that I didn't have access to then. But I can appreciate it even more now. And I'm here to tell you that on this side of the tomb... When a Jesus who is moved by your sorrow, when a Jesus who migrates miles because of his great love for you, when a Jesus who weeps with you, when a Jesus invites those around you to be moved to help their unbelief, to help yours, when all that stands in the way of your death 
and the life of Christ is a stone. When all that stands in the way is a word from the living God calling you to come out of that tomb. When all that stands in the way is your willingness to trust the compassion of His healing is truly greater than the comfort of your pain. I'm here to tell you, church, when the Lord calls you to come out of a tomb, when the Lord calls you to come out of a tomb, do not tarry. Don't wait. Don't hang out too long. Don't get too comfortable in there. Don't start to set down and make it a home. It was not meant to be your home. It was meant to hold you at your lowest and your darkest. It was meant to be confining because that's all that you could handle in that moment. It was meant to be quiet because you couldn't experience everything out of it. But when the Lord calls you to come out of the tomb, don't stay. When those rocks begin to be moved, don't start to put them back up. I'm telling you from experience, church. When the Lord calls you to come out of a tomb, do not linger. There's something in the story about it being four days and not three. There was an extra day in there in that tomb for Lazarus. Don't stay the extra day. You don't need it. When the Lord calls you to come out of a tomb, just come. Whether you're ready or not, just come. We weren't made for the tomb, church. We were made for the healing power of touch. We were made for the life-giving shaping of words. We were made for the childlike, ridiculous ecstasy of joy. We weren't made for the tomb, church. We were made for love. So much of it, more than we can handle, honestly. More than we can bear on our own. Which is why we don't try to bear it on our own. This love was meant to be shared. In close community with one another, in the sacred intimacy of soul friendships and the sacrificial generosity of caring for and raising those younger than us and looking up to and listening and learning from those older than us. We were made for the beauty of music to wash over us, for the thrill of hope to awaken our wonder. We were made for the generativity of creativity to multiply in a myriad of miraculous ways. For every creative work is a miracle. We weren't made for the tomb, church. We were made to walk on out, to feel the sunshine on our face as sharp as it may be at first. To feel the rain on our skin as cold as it may be at first. We were made to feel the wind in our bodies as hard as it may be up against us at first. We were made to feel the sweat running down our forehead as foreign as it may feel at first. When the Lord calls you out of a tomb, you come. Lazarus, come out. Verse 44. The dead man came out. Scripture says the dead man came out. The dead man walked on out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. The dead man came out. And he's standing there, feet wrapped in strips of linen, cloth around his face. And I'm here to tell you, church, a change is about to come. A change is going to come for Lazarus. 
And a change is going to come for you too. Because the person you needed to be to make it through the tomb is not the same person you're being called to be on the other side of the tomb. Now this is that kind of wisdom. Mm -mm. I'll trade it. Somebody else can have this one. The person you needed to be to make it through the tomb is not the same person you're being called to be on the other side of the tomb. Somebody needs to hear that today. Don't wear grave clothes outside of a tomb. They're not meant to be worn anymore. You'll smell like death. You gotta lay them down and let them go. Even as they've become precious, as precious as your pain, you got to lay them down and let them go. Like your kid's blankie. That, I don't know what all is on that blankie. A lot of life, but it smells like death. But boo, at some point, we got to let that thing go. Maybe we can frame it and put it on a wall as a keepsake. Don't wear grave clothes outside of a tomb. They will hold you back. Inside the tomb, those clothes, they fit you just fine. They protected you. They comforted you. They embraced you. They were holding you. And at times, they were all you could hold on to. Inside the tomb, they honored you. Outside the tomb, they bind you. Inside the tomb, they honor you. But outside the tomb, they bind you. Barricade from yourself, from others, from our God. And so Jesus says to them, verse 44, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Other translations say it this way. Take off the grave clothes and unbind him. Don't wear grave clothes outside of a tomb. Lay them down. Let them go. And lastly, I want you to hear this piece. This is most important for us as a church familia. Your healing happens in community. Your healing happens in community. Don't go try to heal out there by yourself and then come back when you're all better. It won't happen. Your healing happens in community. Don't get mad at me. This is Jesus. Notice in the story who Jesus talks to. Jesus said to them. Jesus says to them, to those near enough to have smelled death and to receive resurrection of their beloved. Jesus says to them, says to y'all, says to all y'all, that's a gift from the South, receive it like a hug. It is the community's responsibility to be the healing work of restoring your body, soul, spirit, and strength alongside you and with you. It is the community's responsibility to participate in the unbinding work of that time in the tomb. 
They may not have been able to be in the tomb with you. But pay attention to those who are waiting for you on the other side of the tomb. They were the ones who actually, without you realizing, were migrating to go get Jesus in the first place. To come move that stone. The stone wouldn't have moved without the Marthas and the Marys who were crying out on your behalf while you were laying because you couldn't do anything else. So I want to honor the Marthas and Marys in my life. I want to honor those who continually made the migration over and over and over to Jesus on my behalf to help resurrect me from the tombs in my life. Those so near they knew the smell of death. Those who waited the four days, the 40 days, the fortnights, in season and out of season, however long it takes you to come back out and for that stone to be rolled away, I'll be right here and I'll get my hands dirty, unbinding those grave clothes because you don't need them anymore. One strip at a time, one layer at a time, one loss at a time, there's healing on the other side. There's healing on the other side. Our migrating God has migrated to us, moved with compassion, and he stands on the other side of a stone, and he calls for us to come out. And when the Lord calls you to come out of a tomb, and when the Lord calls you, to come out of a tomb. And when the Lord calls you to come out of a tomb, you come. Amen. Whew. <laughs> I take a deep breath. Pastor Bobby, thank you for that lived word and that good word. Um, and what y'all don't know this week is that Bobby was wrestling with two sermons, and this is a sermon that the Lord and the Spirit gave him the second half of this week. So I know he's been wrestling to listen what the Spirit wants to speak to you today. And I just want to pause and take a moment, especially after a sermon like that, for us, for me to ask you this question. Where do you hear the invitation in your life? This is a very embodied sermon. We've heard this story before. And our bodies are a sacred text. And I want to ask you, where do you find yourself in this sermon? And I want you to listen to your bodies. Is it your face? Because it says in one of the verses that his face was wrapped in a cloth. Is it your hands that feel numb? Is it your feet that feel so crippled you have a hard time getting out of bed? I've been there before. I stayed in bed for 10 days in college and then had to go see a counselor. Is it the tomb moment where you feel so alone and isolated? And one thing that I always say in this church is isolation leads to self-deception. Self-deception leads to self-destruction. Is it the tomb? Is it your face? Is it the public face that you give, but you have another face that is hurting on the inside? Is it your hands, your feet, 
where does it hurt? Is it your hears that you haven't heard someone call you by your name in a long time? In the story, it's Lazarus. But what about your name? It is, the, is it the name of Jesus and the voice of Jesus that you haven't heard Jesus call you by name? It's an intimate thing to be called by name. And also your middle name, Ines de Maria. Okay, it's not my dad. I'm not in trouble. Okay. Ines de Maria, when someone calls you by your middle name, it's an intimate thing, right? It's precious. I want you to listen to God's invitation in the story for you. I want you to find yourself in the story of God here for you. And I do love that you picked up, of course you are, you went to school for this, <laughs> that you picked up that the unbinding does not happen alone. He couldn't see. He couldn't hear. He only had half of, he could hear his name and then he's stuck. And the healing process is unbind him. Well, that takes some time. Take off those grave clothes. That takes some time. Where are you in the story? We honor all of the places where you are in the story. And so I'd like to invite you to close your eyes and uh, um, take a deep breath as I pray over you and we continue and worship. God of Hagar, we pray to the God who knows our names when we are in these deserts and wildernesses and tomb moments and cocoon moments and places where we wonder if anybody else sees us or we wonder if you even see us or we wonder if you're even here in the room, God. And I pray for every sister and brother and sibling in this place. God, you know wherever they are right now. You know their tomb moments. You know their face moments. You know their ear moments. You know their hands and their feet. You know all the places where we feel bound and you know all the places that inside our souls feel dead. And so I pray to the God of Hagar. I pray to that woman who says, you are the God who sees me in this tomb. And you know your children by name. And so God, Jesus, you who are well acquainted with grief, I ask that you will call us by name. And I ask that our faces and our masks would fall down and that our hands and our feet would become unbound. And after they become unbound, the places where they feel numb, that you would thaw us out so that we could just have feeling again, God. Just begin to, to feel our bodies again, God so that we can turn our hearts towards joy and hope and mercy and community and compassion, God. God, I pray that you would send Marys and Marthas to those places where someone says, I see you. Where are you going? I see you. There you are. I see you. You are here and you're not alone and here is holy. 
God, thank you for the sermon, and I pray that you would continually speak our name this week in precious and personal ways, in a language that we can understand, through a voice that we can recognize Jesus. Thank you for calling us by name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'd like to invite um, Mike.